You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Money is kind of a famously difficult topic to tackle, but I have found that when you just break it down, you really only need to follow a few main rules to live a fairly healthy financial life. You got to spend less than you make. You need to build up an emergency stash set aside money for retirement, invest that money and protect this world that you're building so that a disaster, a big one or a small one, doesn't have the ability to take it all away from you, which all sounds pretty simple, right? But we know that the reality is a lot more complicated. That is why we've done hundreds, literally hundreds of podcast episodes on all of these topics and more. And a big reason that these simple rules are complicated is that people are complicated. Human beings are complicated and life gets in the way. We know we shouldn't put a big purchase on a credit card that we are going to have difficulty paying off even over time. And yet, we do it anyway. We know we should save more for retirement, yet we procrastinate when it comes to bumping up those 401k contributions. We know that we should be doing a lot of different things, and yet we get in our own way. It can be really, really hard to think about saving money for the future if you've got bills and loans and unexpected emergencies, but it does mean that we have to get ourselves to think long-term. It means we have to figure out some way to get ourselves to plan ahead. And my guest today is going to lead us through the fact that some of the most powerful tools that we have for financial success are just mindset shifts. Hal Hirschfield is a professor of marketing, behavioral decision-making, and psychology at UCLA's Anderson School of Management. He spent his career studying all the different ways we can improve our long-term financial decision-making through psychology, including how we can save more, how we can better prepare ourselves for our financial future. And he found, and this is a little bit scary for those of us who don't like to see those wrinkles emerging, he found that the key to sticking to our goals is being able to imagine our future selves. He breaks it all down in his latest book, Your Future Self, How to Make Tomorrow Better Today. Hal, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Jean. I'm really excited to talk with you. So you know that I love this stuff. I love the research. I love behavioral finance. I find it fascinating. Your research has found that people in general 
have trouble imagining our future selves, right? The me of today finds it difficult to imagine the me of 30 years from now. And that makes it tougher to work toward our goals. Why is this so difficult? And what do we need to start thinking of to get us to connect with ourselves in the future? So part of the reason it's difficult is because, you know, we live in the present. That's the period of time that we spend all of our time in. And what that means is that even if we're motivated to think about the future and we want to think about the future and we know we should save more, for instance, we're constantly bombarded by temptations that exist right now and they're in front of us and they're they're emotional and they're vivid and everything in the future is abstract and it's going to happen later. So, you know, my own research has actually found that we sometimes even think about our future selves in our in our mind's eye as if they are other people. And that's really an important observation because it means that when we're making these sorts of trade-offs in the financial space and even in other sort of spaces like the health space, what we're really doing is saying, do I want to undergo some sacrifice right now, spend a little less for the benefit of some future person who's maybe not even really me. And that's a hard trade-off to make. It'd almost be like being in a relationship where you're the one who's always making sacrifices <laughs> and your partner's not making any sacrifices. I mean, I'm trying to think of how I envision my future self because I do think about this and I think about it especially whenever I go to the financial advisor and we go through those calculations of, are we putting away enough money? I don't know that I really get her. I don't know how she thinks. I don't know how she feels. I don't know what she does with her days necessarily, or even, you know, what kind of physical shape she'll be in. When you think of your future self, how do you do it? So I agree with you. I think it's just incredibly difficult to think about all those sort of specifics, right? So, I mean, I can try, but then I think five years ago, 10 years ago, could I have even imagined right now? Probably not. So many things have changed. And so we sort of recognize that moving forward too. It's going to be really hard. Now, I can think about some things. I can sort of loosely say, okay, how do I want to spend my time? And I can loosely say, you know, well, I think I'll want to be living in the same spot and so on and so on. But I think more than that, it can become easier to think about the feelings and values that I will have. So in other words, I might not know the sort of surface level things, the specifics, but I can think back and recognize, you know, that one thing that's really important to me, for instance, is that I get, you know, I get to spend time with friends and I, I like to be somebody who makes other people laugh. For example, that's sort of a, that feels like kind of a basic example in a way, but I don't see that sort of thing changing. And what I know is that I want to be able to be in a position now and in the future where I can do the things that bring me happiness. So, you know, whether that's traveling or whether that's spending time away or whether it's working flexibly when I can and so on. So if I think about those things and I can start to say, all right, even though I don't know the specifics, I know, at least in the financial space, that I want to put myself in a position to be able to have flexibility and to be able to have options and choices and do the things that I will want to do then. And 
when you think about those things that you want to do financially or even health-wise, as you were going through that exercise of thinking about what you might want to do financially, I was sort of thinking about the fact that I've been a runner since high school. And I do often think about how many more years do I have on my legs, right? And is there going to be a time when I go from being a runner to being a walker? And would I be okay with that? Like I go through that, I go through that exercise and the thought of not being able to even go for a long walk with the dog every day, that would make me really unhappy. So being able to envision, in your case, flexibility, or in my case, a walk with the dog, why don't we do the things that we know we should do? Right? It's not like people don't know that they should make healthy choices with their food and they should get off the couch and they should do their 10,000 steps. It's not like people don't know that they should save 10 to 15 percent and put money in a 401k. We know it. We just don't do it. So there's so many reasons why we have this, you know, what psychologists call intention behavior gap, right? I intend to do that thing. I intend to go on the run. I intend to not snack tonight. I intend to spend less and then I don't do it, right? And so part of the reason is that we end up getting anchored on our present emotions. And so what I mean by that is that what we're feeling right now, it just seems more important than the feelings I anticipate having in the future and even the feelings that I remember having in the past. And so, you know, if I can be concrete about that, I might say to you, you know, if I'm sitting down and I'm meeting with my financial advisor, I might say, okay, you know what? I know I need to cut back on my spending. You mentioned the easy rule of spending less than I'm making. Generally speaking, that seems like a great rule. But then I need to buy a new car and I'm deciding which one to get. And there's definitely the more modest, less flashy one. And then there's the one that's not unaffordable, but certainly going to cost me more monthly payments. It's more upfront. It's going to take longer to pay. And I, oh, I just get taken in by imagining, you know, the feeling of it and that I'm in it right now. And that is really tricky to sort of turn the dial down on those present day emotions. And what ends up happening is that I say, okay, well, you know what, in this particular case, I'll, I'll just spend a little more, I'll eat more snacks or whatever it is. And one of the things that we're really good at doing as human beings is making exceptions of the present. And so I say, well, I deserve this. You know, I deserve this nicer car. or I deserve to have one more drink tonight because, well, today was a long day or this week was longer. Whatever the reason, I am so creative at coming up with a million different excuses for why today is somehow special. And what I'm really bad at doing and what a lot of people are really bad at doing is figuring out how each of those exceptionalized presents adds up to a bigger picture. And that makes it really hard to then stay on path to do the things that we want to do. Right. I do this all the time. I start the day out thinking I'm going to eat really healthy, right? And then I pass the best donut shop in the city. And I'm never near the best donut shop in the city, but I'm near it. So I allow myself to have a donut. And once you allow yourself to have a donut, your whole day is ruined food-wise, if you're me, right? Because you've already made that one exception. And now you might as well just throw the whole thing out the window. So what is imagining our future better do 
in terms of interrupting that cycle, because I can't tell you how guilty I am of it. And I'm sure pretty much everybody listening is as well. I'm also guilty of it. And the funny thing is that donuts is one of those exact things. We're actually not that far from some of the best donuts in L.A. where we live. So Are I you actually, near Sidecar? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Sidecar oh donuts. It's so good. And I, I find myself near it. And it's like, even then I'll say, oh, well, I'm near it. I should get it. Well, I'm near it a lot. So, you know, that excuse doesn't work. But somehow I... <laughs> <laughs> I was just in L.A. visiting my son. And you have to have sidecar donuts. I mean, if you're a donut person, you kind of have to have sidecar donuts. And I should probably, you know, make the disclaimer that I'm not sponsored by sidecar donuts. But, you know, they're delicious. So you mentioned being able to better envision our future selves. And part of the task here is to not just envision, you know, literally what we'll look like, but to try to think about what we will feel like. And that's a really hard task. But let me give you an example. So, I mean, we mentioned donuts, but I, you know, let me talk about health for a second, because you can also see how this translates over to finances. So I also like to run once I'm on a run, but gearing up for it is always hard. And I might tell myself tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and I'm first thing I'm going to go for a run. And then, you know, I'll check that box. I'll knock it off. And I wake up and I'm tired. I decide not to do it. And I tell myself, you know what? Later in the day, I'll do it. I'll do it after I get home and after I put the kids to bed. And you know what happens nine times out of 10 is that I don't do it. But 100% of the time that that happens, I don't feel good about it later at night. I And I know it. It's like I feel a little bit restless and I regret it and I wish I had gone on the run. And so... Part of stepping into the shoes of our future self and part of seeing the world through their eyes, part of what that does is allows you to say, okay, how will I feel about this decision later? And that seems almost like a basic question, but it's one that we're not very good at asking, especially when faced with these temptations. I think in the back of our minds, we know it somewhere, but actually making that an explicit conversation can start to move the needle and change behavior. And I'll say that doesn't mean every time we should go for the future-oriented thing because then, (laughs) you know, you should have the donut every so often. (laughs) Well, what that makes me think of, and I'm switching back from health to finance, and I hope our listeners are just going to acknowledge that we're going to toggle back and forth here because there's so many similarities. What it makes me think of is that maybe the future doesn't have to be so far in the future. Right. When I am trying to interrupt myself in the middle of a spending loop, I invoke our purchasing pause. And we talk about the purchasing pause on this show a lot. It's a 24-hour purchasing pause. You can leave the item in your cart if you're shopping online. When you come back, not only will it probably be there, they'll give you 15% off, right? Like you interrupt yourself and think about some important questions like, do I need this? Or what am I going to do with it? Or where am I going to put it? Like, Or how am I going to pay for it? And that's the future, but it's not the kind of future that I thought we were talking about. Yeah, and I think it's such an important realization what you're talking about there, because part of what I think you're circling around is the idea that I may be thinking about a future financial self, call it in five years or 10 years or whatever it is, who is in a financially fit space, right? They're doing well, that future version of me, and they're comfortable But I can't just go from the present and sort of jump all the way ahead to there. I have to do things along the way. And those sort of involve many different future selves 
that add up. So one of them might be the tomorrow version of me who puts this, you know, the spending pause on, or it might be next week's version. And what I like there is that now we're not talking about some really abstract, uncertain, unknowable future in five years. We're talking about tomorrow. And we're talking about doing a single action, which is one of the other big strategies that I like to talk about. Let's try to make the sacrifices, quote unquote, feel a little easier to undertake. What I wanted to circle back and ask was when you do take that road that you are trying to get yourself to take, when you do take the purchasing pause, when you do go for the run first thing in the morning because you're thinking about how bad you'll feel later in the day, does it make you happier? Does it give us satisfaction to know that we've done the right thing rather than just not done the wrong thing? It's such a good question. So my own research can speak to this somewhat tangentially. So we do have some work showing that people who feel a sense of connection and similarity with their future selves end up over a 10-year period of time feeling more satisfied with their lives. Now, I say tangentially related because we don't really know what's happening under the hood there. I assume that part of what's happening, and I can speculate, is that if I feel this relationship, this close relationship with my future self, I'm going to be more likely to do this sorts of behaviors that we've been talking about. And ultimately, over time, that is satisfying. But there's also another layer to this here, which is that can I get some positive feelings right now from doing the thing that I said I wanted to do? And I, I don't have the research to speak to that. But what we do know, other people have looked at the idea that we're much more likely to stick with self-control tasks when they're fun, <laughs> when I feel good doing them. It doesn't always have to be so hard. And, you know, I think that's kind of related here. Yeah, I think absolutely. All right. We're going to talk about how to connect with that future self. We're going to talk about my experiment, looking at a photo of myself way in the future and how awful that made me feel. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. Dive into the heart of crime with Foul Play Crime Series. Immerse yourself in the most perplexing cases where each twist and turn is more baffling than the last. With riveting storytelling and detailed analysis, Foul Play brings the unsolved and unexplained to life, captivating your imagination. Listen to Foul Play Crime Series now, where every story is a puzzle waiting to be solved. We are back with Hal Hirschfield, psychologist, UCLA professor, author of a great new book called Your Future Self. I know that you've run experiments testing different ways for people to connect with their future selves. How do they do it? And what did you learn from those experiments? Sure. So, that, you know, we've tried a couple of different things over the years. So, so one of the strategies that we've tried to put into place is to figure out ways that we can get people to feel more emotionally invested in their future selves. Now, what does that mean? And how do you do it? Well, you can start wondering okay, how do I get you to be more emotionally invested in other people in your life? Charities are great at doing this. They, what do they do? They make recipients of charity 
much more vivid, right? You know, I think everybody kind of recognizes this. You Well, think about the commercials with the dog, right? With the dogs in the pens. I mean, those are the ones that, I mean, I, they just get me every time. I can't even watch them. Well, and that that may almost go too far, right? But it's, you know, and what's what's interesting about that is that that's really emotional. And, you know, the right level of emotion is probably going to get you to take action. But if if you saw instead of the, you know, those images and the the pictures of the dogs in the pen, if you saw instead of a paragraph that said every year, however many thousands of dogs are stuck in pens, that may resonate, but it's not all that emotional. It's sort of abstract. It's statistics. In the financial space, I think financial advisors think that the emotional thing is to show you a compound interest chart. <laughs> and to most people, that's not that emotional. But what is emotional, what's vivid is to try to think more deeply about the future self. So we've tried to actually show people their future selves. We've used these age progression algorithms, which is a fancy way of saying, like, let's make your face look as if it'll be 20, 30 years older, right? And so when when we started doing this, by the way, the technology wasn't that great. But now, I mean, anybody can really do this. And over the years, we've explored different contexts and situations. The gist is that when people are exposed to these older age progressed images, they're more likely to want to make a contribution to the, you know, a long-term savings account or retirement. And then recently we've found that they actually do in like a large field study of thousands of customers. One caveat I'll add to that though, is that we've been looking at those sort of strategies in a one size fits all way. What I don't know and what I sort of suspect is would that same sort of intervention work with somebody who's in the middle of their life or even nearing retirement. And my suspicion is no, because, <laughs> you know, and to some extent, right, like as I've been doing this research, I've started looking more and more like those older images of me that, <laughs> that I created. Right. I just I <laughs> used, I was talking about some of this research in a presentation that I was giving, and I just used the Aging Booth app and added 30 years to me. And I am, it's a little strange. I, I look a little like, the, it didn't gray my hair enough. So I look a little like one of those people that you don't want to be who looks young from the back and old from the front, right? And you're just scared <laughs> that when you turn around, people are not going to like what you look like. But I, you know, I look jowly and more wrinkled. And I do recall asking, and I think I was asking you, can't I just look at a picture of my mother? Like, I love my mother, right? Can't I just find empathy that way? And I was told no. Well, so that's interesting. I mean, we haven't explicitly tested that. I think there's a lot of, you know, caveats there, which is to say, you know, what is your relationship like with with your mother in that case or with another older person? In your particular context, that relationship is strong, you know, maybe that would move the needle because I don't know if there's a better proxy for our older selves than our than our parents, right? Or grandparents, if we can remember them. By the way, I actually, you know, was playing around with some of the age progression technology a couple months ago. And I had my old picture up on my computer as I was messing around with it. And my daughter walked by and said, what's grandpa doing on your screen? <laughs> and so, you know, I think I really, <laughs> it's right? pretty accurate. But you're right. Um, I think there are versions of this that don't require you to download Aging Booth or FaceApp or Snapchat or any of these ones, right? But part of what's happening here is 
we are trying to sort of nudge people along to think more deeply and more vividly about who they'll be in the future rather than like just this abstract time. Yeah. You write and talk about a concept that you call mental time travel. What is that? And and how do we do it right? Yeah. So mental time travel, it sounds fancy, but it's something that we all do, right? If you've, you know, thought at all about what you're going to have for dinner tonight, that's mental time travel. You're zooming ahead, right? Or if you think back to the past or ahead to the future and then back to the past, all of that is traveling through time in our minds. We do it right when we jump ahead to the future, but recognize that the future may not end up being the way that I think it will be. And treating it with some flexibility and some maturity. And what that means more concretely is that it would be wrong to not plan for the future, (laughs) of course. And it would also be wrong to plan for the future in such a rigid way that we don't incorporate the concept of change in our preferences and our tastes and our likes and dislikes and so on. Are there any tactics that you use that make making the sacrifices in the moment easier? Are there other things that you have found to be particularly validating when getting yourself to do the right thing? Yeah. So one that I really like is to step away from the sort of current and future self relationship and try to make the sacrifices that my current self is undergoing just feel a little bit easier to undergo. So in in other words, anytime we have these trade-offs, it's always me right now who is somehow, you know, quote unquote suffering. I'm the one who has to spend less, you know, and I'm the one who has to wake up early to go on a run or whatever. And future me, that's the that's the guy that gets to benefit from all that. So one thing I really like doing, one strategy that I've delved into in my own research and in the book is to try to figure out ways to make bigger tasks feel more easily handleable. In other words, can I actually do this thing easier, right? So we have one research study where we ask people if they want to sign up for an automatic savings account, and we ask them if they want to save 150 bucks a month in one group. And another group, we ask them if they want to save five bucks a day. My favorite study of all time, by the way. This is like (laughs) the most brilliant piece of work. Oh, I love that. I mean, and, you know, of course, you don't have to be a math whiz to know, right? These are the same amounts of money. But $5 a day feels a lot easier to do than 150 bucks a month. Because so, for a lot of people, we can think of something that I'd be willing to give up that costs me roughly 5 bucks a day. And it becomes harder to think of something I'll give up that costs me 150 bucks or 200 bucks or whatever it is a month. And in fact, in this particular study, we found that four times as many people signed up for the account when it was framed in the daily amounts rather than the monthly amounts, which was crazy. Why have banks not done this? Banks, credit unions, they all have, at this point, basically free technology that enables them to do an ACH transfer, which costs nothing, right? Just like you can set up a monthly swipe out of your checking account and into savings every time you get paid or a weekly, why do you think it doesn't exist on the daily? And believe me, I've talked, we work with financial services clients. I've talked to them and said, do this. People will do this, but I can't find it. 
Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I think part of this is, you know, the banking industry, like many other industries and people, suffers from inertia. And so you say, you know, what has been done before, it wasn't possible with the way technology was not that long ago to make the daily transfers, right? It was it was tied to paychecks. It was tied to monthly transfers and whatnot. And so to make that shift can be difficult, but it is the type of thing that I think could make a difference. I mean, I should I should be clear, there were people who dropped out after a month because they said, you know, oh my God, this is like saving $150 a month. I didn't mean to do that much. But, you know, you, you get way more people wrapped into the program than you would have otherwise. I'll note that this sort of technique, you know, we have to be careful with it because you can also use it on the flip side to hurt yourself, right? So I found myself debating about a new TV. And I said, that's a lot of money. And then I broke it down. I said, well, it's like not that much in terms of like, if I were to like back that out over time and monthly amounts, it's not that much. And then what I've done there is the the reverse. I've made it seem easier to to pay for. And I shouldn't, you know, I really shouldn't do that because I need to think I'm paying for it right now. (laughs) Right. Oh, that's interesting. It's also buy now, pay later, right? Just that is buy now, pay later. And that's why why it's working and been so successful. I want to touch on this particular point in time that we have just lived through. And by that, I mean a pandemic that killed over a million people in the United States alone and made people really take a look at this YOLO mentality with fresh eyes and say, you know, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know that I should plan on the future. I The future could be a mess. Is there a risk in focusing too much on this potential future? And, and do the YOLO folks have a point? So I think they do to some extent. When I first started working on this research, I always thought the big problem was what researchers call myopia, which is, you know, tunnel vision for right now. And then realize there's this other problem, which is called hyperopia, which is when I'm like too focused on the future that I miss out on the present. And that may sound like not that big of a problem, but you know, if you've ever had a gift certificate for a restaurant and you're just holding on to it and holding on to it and waiting for the perfect moment to use it, and then the restaurant closes, <laughs> you have, you know, you've made life worse for yourself now and later, right? You know, and so that's a form of hyperopia. And you can think about, you know, deeper instances of it. In other words, flip that around and say, it may make sense at times to to do the thing today, to celebrate the present, because just as we were talking about before, all of these sort of selves add up. If I'm doing more of these things that make me enjoy right now, I'll look back on that later with satisfaction. You know, the problem arises when I do that to an excessive degree. And I tell myself that the future will take care of the future, right? And then end up being surprised when suddenly like my circumstances have changed and I don't have the same employment that I did or macroeconomic shift has occurred and there's more inflation and less employment or whatever it may be. In other words, too much of the present focus, too much of the sort of that YOLO mindset, if you will, could add up to be dangerous over time. And just because the future is uncertain, it doesn't mean that it's not going to come. Like it's still, <laughs> it's still going to happen. Hyperopia. 
I learned a new word, hyperopia. So I'm going to take that gift certificate (laughs) that I got a year ago for my anniversary to a restaurant that we have not used and actually put it to good use in the next week or so, because that example is resonating with me. As we wrap this up, what are you looking at now, now that the book is out and, you know, I know you're touring and you've got a lot of interviews, but what's the next iteration of this research? Hey there, listeners. It's Nima Gobier. I'm the co-host of MindShift, the podcast where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I don't teach math. I don't teach reading. I teach people. You'll hear from teachers, parents, researchers, and students as we uncover innovative approaches in and out of the classroom. It holds a lot about how we want students and young people to move through the world, how we want to set them up for success. Find MindShift wherever you get your podcasts. One of the things I'm really interested in right now is thinking about how people grapple with the very end of life. So, so much of my work, especially in the financial space, has been focused on, you know, accumulating money and getting a good retirement. And as we see more and more boomers getting older, as we see the population aging, it becomes an equally important question to figure out how do we spend down our savings? How do we live that third act, if you will, in a way that's supposed to be as satisfying as we'd hoped it would be given the savings that we've accumulated over time. So I'm deeply interested now in what researchers call the decumulation side. But another way to say it is, how do I spend my money and how do I spend my time later in life to make it as meaningful and satisfying as possible? That is an amazing question to dig into because there is not enough work on that. I spent most of my career at personal finance magazines where we just talked about accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And I think I think we have a lot of work to do when it comes to the decumulation phase and, and doing it in a way that we have with purpose and joy. So excited to see what you come up with there. Where can our listeners find you and find out more about you? Sure. I have my website, halhirschfield.com, and everything about me, the research and whatnot is there, as well as all the information you need about the book. Fantastic. Thanks so much for doing this with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. This show is produced by CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. This podcast is also part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. You can find us and other shows like us at airwavemedia.com. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon.